This evening's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, and this can be found on page 1164 of the Church Bibles. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we do not who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Avril. Well, do keep your Bibles open. Good evening, everyone. Hello. And uh, you'll also need a copy of the service sheets, because there is a reading on the back. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your people to hear you speak to us. And we do pray now that you would give us ears to hear your word and you would help us to understand and obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder, what makes someone worth following? What makes someone worth listening to? Why do some people influence us more than others? Why does Justin Bieber have 103.4 million followers on Twitter? I mean, why do people identify as believers? Seriously, why? I don't get it. Maybe I'm just getting old. Every day at home, at school, at the office, with friends, we, we have to make decisions about who we're going to follow, who we're going to listen to. Who are we going to allow to influence us? And so what we do is we subconsciously assess people, don't we? Are you worthy of my allegiance and loyalty? What can you offer me? Do I want to be associated with you? And if we're honest, most of us will find that we are drawn towards people who are successful, popular, strong, powerful. Very rarely do we find ourselves drawn someone or listing someone who's weak or a bit pathetic. Now, how we define those characteristics of strong and powerful and successful uh, will, will be different for all of us. Some of us might try and align ourselves with the popular kid at school or the person at work in the position of authority or power or the mum at the school gate that everyone loves. Because we know it would be good. It would be good for us to be associated with them, the strong, popular, successful types. Isn't that why we name drop? I'm mean, sure you guys would never name drop. Uh, I'm about to. I am um, at Farmer Six from college when I was uh, young. I played rugby for the first time as a 16 year old. I was utterly clueless, didn't have a clue what was going on. I got the nickname Forrest after Forrest Gump because uh, once I just caught the ball and ran. Uh, and scored a try. So it was run, Forrest, run. But in that team, and it was quite a successful team, was a man called Ben. 
And Ben was a beast of a 17-year-old. And he went on to play professional rugby for Wasps and represented England at the under-18 or 17 level until he, he got injured. And uh, I'd quite happily name drop Gotts. I quite happily talk about when I was at college playing in a rugby team with Ben because although I was useless, I felt that somehow being associated with him was good for me. It sort of gave me some sort of credit, some sort of status. It reflected well on me. And I think if we're honest, we're all a bit like that. We all like to associate ourselves with someone who's good for us. And that's why we really shouldn't be too quick to judge the Corinthian church. Hopefully by now, if you've been coming along in the evenings, you'll know that Paul writes the church in Corinth partly because they've been uh, drawn away, they've been influenced by these so-called super-apostles. There's nothing super about them at all, actually. They're, they're false teachers who undermined the gospel, but they were really influential. And they were influential because they came across as super-spiritual, strong, powerful, popular, successful. And who wouldn't want to align themselves with people like that? Who wouldn't want to be part of a church that looks popular, successful, strong, powerful? I mean, it's great that we're here this evening, but wouldn't it be great if we were just, there was a thousand of us in here, and everyone loved us, and we were strong and powerful? Because it reflects well on us. And because we're tempted to think like that, that's why we need to listen really carefully when Paul says in chapter 10, verse 7, Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Don't be deceived. Stop looking at the surface of things because appearances are deceptive. If you've ever bought a second-hand car, you'll, you'll know that what it looks like on the outside doesn't really matter. It's what's on the inside, what's under the bonnet that matters. And so, although you're clueless, clueless, you'll insist that they open the bonnet and you'll look around and pretend you know what you're doing, you know, tap it, and then close it and nod. <laughs> or you just get the AA in to come and do it all for you. Because we know that what it looks like, doesn't matter what colour it is or how shiny it is, it doesn't matter. It's what underneath the bonnet that matters. Open your eyes, Paul says. Don't be deceived by appearances because it's what's in the hearts of these false teachers that matters. And we know that from earlier in chapter 5, these false teachers were in it for themselves. This is chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So these false teachers are motivated by success and popularity. They want to appear strong and powerful, but they're in it for themselves. Open your eyes, Paul says. As we've uh, gone through this letter, we've we've heard Paul talk about himself quite a bit. But normally when he does, he, he talks less about himself personally and more about his ministry. But the tone changes in chapter 10 verse 1. It gets really personal. Just look at it. I appeal to you. I, Paul. Three times in six words, Paul refers to himself. This is personal now. 
And it's personal because if Paul are questioning Paul, if people are questioning Paul, they are questioning his gospel. And so what we see in these six verses and what we'll see next week as well is Paul defending himself, defending his character. And we see one of the slurs on Paul's character in verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I think that's one of the accusations that these so-called super apostles are saying to Paul. They're saying, look, this guy, he might be bold in his letters, he might be strong in what he says, but when he's here with us, he's just a bit of a pathetic little man, isn't he? A bit timid, a bit meek, a bit weak. That Paul, he sure talks a great game when he's not with you, but the measure of a man is when he's in your presence, and he's no kind of man in our presence, is he? He's all, he's timid and feeble. Unlike the super apostles, there's nothing impressive about Paul. And in verse 2, it, it seems that these super spiritual apostles uh, accuse Paul of not being spiritual at all, but instead worldly or more literally, fleshy. Verse 2. I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. If you just um, turn to the back of your, uh, notice your service sheet, you'll see that I've put the reading. Uh, I just printed out the version from the ESV, which is a slightly more literal interpretation. And I've done that because I think it's helpful just to see what Paul is really getting at here. And you'll see that the ESV uses the word flesh instead of worlds. So in, it appears, the word flesh appears four times in two short verses. I think that's important because the contrast that Paul's making is not between the spiritual here and the worldly out there, but it's about the spiritual versus the flesh, flesh-like. Our physical human nature. And so the accusation that people seem to be making is that these super spiritual apostles are, well, they're spiritual, but Paul is just so fleshy. He's just so ordinary, just physical, nothing more, very mundane, very fleshy. So that, that's the reason why. Why do you have anything to do with Paul? They have nothing to do with him. He's just weak and pathetic and fleshy. And so what Paul does in these verses is I think he outlines his defense. Paul's defense against that accusation. And here's the first one. Meekness doesn't equal weakness. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church reflects Jesus. You see, in verse 2, we see that Paul would happily goes to the Corinthians. He said, look, I'm happy to come and be bold with you if I need to be. But he'd really rather not do that. He doesn't want to start throwing his weight around. As an apostle, he'd be fully within his rights to do that. But he doesn't want to, and he doesn't want to because he wants to copy the attitude of Jesus. He knows that he can't force people to respect his authority, but he can call people, he can plead with people to recognise it. And he'll do that with meekness and gentleness, because that's what Jesus did. 
See, what we see in the Gospels and reminders of a Christmas, isn't it, is God the Son comes into the world he created, but he doesn't establish his reign by force. No, he proclaims the kingdom in, through meekness and gentleness, the Son of God born in a manger. A kingdom established on a cross through weakness. Paul's meekness and gentleness with the Corinthian church reflects Christ. And so he says, I plead with you, Corinthians, open your eyes. Meekness doesn't equal weakness. And here's the second point of his defense. God's power works through weakness. In verses 3 to 4, Paul uses this uh, metaphor of battle to describe his situation. He talks about battling against strongholds. Why don't we try and imagine the sort of ancient battles of this time where cities would be surrounded by a big, thick, impenetrable walls, a stronghold. And Paul says, my battle is against defences like that. And as he faces that stronghold, Paul is really happy to admit he is actually weak. Look at verse 3. In the ESV, for though we walk in the flesh. The accusation against Paul is you're fleshly, you're weak. And Paul says, do you know what, you're right, I am. I am weak. And he's not embarrassed about it. He might be an apostle, but he's still a human being living in a fleshly body. A body that is subject to pain, illness, decay. We know what it's like to live in those fleshly bodies, don't we, in this church family? We share each other's pains, we feel each other's sadness, we feel our weakness, and Paul is not immune from that. Super apostles say, why are you following Paul? He's weak and pathetic, and Paul says, I am. I walk in a body of flesh, but for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm weak, which is why I don't rely on my own strength to fight the battle. I fight it with all God's power. I don't know if you remember back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes himself as a jar of clay. Weak, brittle, temporary, ordinary. And he does that because he says, that's what we're like to, quote, show that this all-surpassing glory, all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul's happy to admit he's weak. If, um, if you asked uh, someone who's been around for 50, 60 years, who are some of the people who have uh, been most influential in the, uh, the evangelical church across the world? One of the names you'd probably hear is James Packer taught for many, many years over in Canada, written many absolute classic books. And this book is uh, one of, I think, possibly the last one he wrote. And it's a reflection about his own ministry, and it's a reflection on two Corinthians. And this great man of God calls his book, Weakness is the Way. And it is. Weakness is the way. Paul is weak. He lives in a body of flesh, but he fights the battle with all of God's power. God's power works through weakness. So Paul says, open your eyes. 
Open your eyes. If, um, if you're not a, not a Christian here this evening, then you're, you're really, really welcome. We're glad you come. But let me plead with you, as, or let, Paul, let me plead on Paul's behalf for you. Don't be deceived. Don't judge the Christian faith by its appearances. In the eyes of the world, the church and its leaders might not look successful, certainly not popular, doesn't look particularly attractive. It's pretty weak, isn't it? But don't be deceived. For it was through the weak and pathetic-looking ministry of people like Paul that God's power was at work building his church that now worships across the globe. Open your eyes. God's power is at work through weakness. And this gathering here this evening is testimony to that. And to those of us who are Christians, who perhaps of us long for a church that doesn't look quite so weak, that looks stronger, more successful, is led by strong, popular, successful leaders in the eyes of the world. Paul says, open your eyes. Beware, because appearances are deceptive. Um, as many of you know, I'm now studying um, at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, um, at Vicar Factory, and uh, I had a, uh, a conversation with a friend who's studying there this week, and it was really eye-opening to me. He's come from a church that would, um, it's massive, it's one of the churches that we would, lots of churches would look up to. It looks strong, it's successful, it's, it's powerful in many ways. The leaders are the, the type of leaders that church leaders around the world aspire to be. It looks attractive to outsiders. And he worked there for many years. But his reflection was that if you look beyond the appearances and you open up the bonnet, appearances are deceptive. Because the leaders shy away from saying anything that would be unpopular today. There's very little rigorous Bible teaching. In the, the small groups, there's very little discipleship. Often the small groups are just social clubs at best, or at worst, places to hang out with people and get drunk or find someone to sleep with. On the surface, it looks strong. It looks powerful. It looks like the place we want to be, but open your eyes, Paul says. Appearances can be deceptive. And from someone who's worked on the inside, his fairly damning assessment of those in leadership was that they cared more about success, popularity, and looking attractive than they did about teaching the truth of the gospel as it really is. What sort of church do you want to be part of? Paul says, open your eyes. Don't judge by appearances, God's power is at work through weakness. And so with that in mind, perhaps we should follow Paul's lead in verses 4 to 6, because he's not prepared to stand by and let the church be ruined by those who care about their appearances. Look at verses 4 to 6. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience 
is complete. We've seen Paul's defense, and now we see Paul's response. And it's discipline for the sake of obedience. With God's power, Paul is prepared to battle against those who seek to undermine the gospel, those whose thoughts and minds are set against God. And so Paul's aim is to demolish arguments that people raise against God, to destroy the opinions of those who set themselves up against God. Paul might be meek, and he might be gentle, but he's ready to be bold if he needs to be. He is ready to punish every act of disobedience of these false teachers. There is a war on. And Paul is prepared to get his hands dirty. But, notice that Paul's discipline of the false teachers is tempered. Look at verse 6 again. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You see, Paul's motivation is not about revenge. His desire is that the church and those who lead her would have their minds recaptured to Christ. And so Paul is meek and gentle because he wants to persuade people to see the truth. And meek because he doesn't want to wind people up unnecessarily. He wants people to listen to his arguments, to see the truth of Christ, whose power is displayed through weakness. That is Paul's longing. And so he will discipline and he will be bold, but only after he has done everything he can in the power of God to demolish every argument so that it may be taken captive to Christ. Now, we are not apostles. And Paul's role was unique. But perhaps we too should share just a little bit of Paul's desire and willingness to battle with God's power for the sake of his church. Um, I don't know if you uh, read in some of the mainstream press or the Christian press about uh, Lorna Ashworth. Uh, She's been uh, part of the General Synod for 10 years and also one of the significant committees in the Church of England. And she's an evangelical Christian. And she's stuck it out for 10 years, battling away. And uh, finally, after, I think, probably just growing weary of the abuse that she's received, um, she's decided to um, step back from her role. And uh, if you read some of the, the comments, so if you read the articles in Christian Press and you look at some of the comments written about her, it will make your blood boil. It's personal, it's spiteful, it's just not very nice. It will make you angry, I suspect, and it will make you want to fight, it will make you want to battle and say, no, 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 what Lorna is standing for is the true church, it's how things are meant to be, it is the historical doctrine of the Church of England. And Paul says we should battle, we should fight, relying on all God's power, but we should do so with meekness and with gentleness. 
Because our battle is not to win the argument. Our battle is to capture people's minds and bring them to obedience to Christ. You can win the fight, but you can lose the person. So, as we battle, following Paul's example, we are to be meek and gentle. For our meekness is not weakness. We're just following the example of Jesus. The one who willingly gave himself over to be crucified at the hands of sinful men that were created through him. So that through his weakness, God's glorious and infinite power might be displayed to the world. That's the battle we've been called to. And that's the way to do it. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on our church and our church leaders, we, are, we see their weakness. And so we thank, thank you so much that you work by your power through our weakness. And so, Father, as we battle, as we battle to keep the gospel first and foremost in our churches, we pray, we pray that you'd give us meekness and gentleness so that through our testimony and the power of your word and spirit, we might demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against knowledge of you. We pray this, that people might come back to Christ and be obedient to him. Amen.